Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Hello, hello, and welcome back to our podcast. My guest today is Candace Vandell. Wow, what a powerhouse. Candace is a new thought leader, YouTube vlogger, author, and a speaker. Her mission is to assist people in reclaiming their truth. Candace works as a spiritual coach, offering her soul-centered approach to healing emotional wounds and unwanted patterns, which she believes is the roadmap to our highest potential. Candace and I talked about ADHD from a spiritual perspective, exploring the true essence of highly sensitive people, light workers, and indigos. Hey, could it be that ADHD is not what we think if we looked at it from a 10,000 foot view? I don't know. Listen in to hear for yourself. Hello, Candace. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. I, you know, to be honest, I connected with your videos online on YouTube so much. And when I finally saw one on ADHD, I was like, what? And I listened <laughs> to it and it was like, yes, 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 please. I need to have this woman on my podcast. So here you are. I'm really yeah. excited. <laughs> Let's jump in with a simple question that I most often ask. Um, what is, in your opinion, what is ADHD? Attention dialed to a higher dimension. Mm, I love that. Wow. We'll say that again. Attention dialed to a higher dimension. I first heard the term with Doreen Virtue like many, 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 many years ago. I mean, like 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was probably the first book I read on this concept called Indigo Children, which some people believe in, some people don't. It doesn't really matter. It gave me a really amazing um perfect concept with what I had been going through as a kid were feeling super misunderstood and like the system didn't get me and therapists didn't get me, but I got me. And, and I just felt like this higher sort of thing of beyond these teachings. And I didn't know, I didn't have words for it until I heard that term. And then I started really diving into my spiritual path, you know, before I was even a teenager, because it's the only thing that called to me about me. Mm. When you say about you, right? Uh, take us back there into your childhood. What are your earliest memories of feeling like you're, I hate to use the word different, but where you just felt it's looking outward, right at the world. I'm not quite like the other girls or children. So I didn't feel that way. I was told that, which is kind of interesting. Uh. Um, I might get emotional. Sorry if I do not, not sorry. <laughs> it's just what it is. Um, I remember, you know, I even remember I have like distinct memories of like four and five years old and feeling so happy and loving and, and then feeling not to blame. So I'll just say, this was my experience feeling in my own family, like I didn't belong and I was left out because I was behaving differently or saying things that they didn't get. They'd always call me weird. Or, um, you know, one time I remember my dad's like, um, you're just eccentric. I'm like eccentric. So I always felt like that because I would just say things that everyone was thinking, but no one would say because I just, I was like real. And I would just be like, mommy, this, mommy, that. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just was so misunderstood. And then what really happened is when I went to school, I always had a lot of friends. I was always like really close with my girlfriends and stuff, but 
when my family was finally like, there's something different about our kid. I was learning different in school. I, they brought me in for an IQ test. I had a really high IQ, but I would, I was so literal. For example, one of the questions, the psychiatrist who gave me the IQ test at seven years old, she's like, she's so literal. She asked me, how many feet does a cat have? And I said, none. She's like, none. I go, the cat has paws. So I got that question wrong. I'm like, there are no feet on a cat. And they're like, oh my God, like, this is what happens where I'm like, but you're asking me the wrong question. And they're like, this kid is so difficult. I'm like, I'm not difficult. You're asking me the wrong question. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I started realizing there was something different with me when I'm in school. And in 1985, I'm the only kid taking Ritalin. So I had to go to the nurse's office and I had to sneak it. And so I already had this secret about how I'm flawed and different and weird compared to every single other kid in school. So the shame started setting in and it was just like, what's, what's, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. Why do you guys? Mm, wow. So in 1985, mm -hmm. there, it wasn't really uh, common that kids would take medication. Mm -mm. And, and did you get the medication from home or from the school nurse? So my mom would give it to the nurse and the nurse would give it to me. At a specific time. Lunchtime every day. Wow. And any memories of, uh, obviously, how you felt? Yes. You know, walk of shame, going there, taking it, coming back, feeling, yeah. you know. So afraid to be seen. Um, there's a big one. So afraid to be seen. Uh, I felt so embarrassed in front of the nurse because the nurse knew what was wrong with me, but nobody else did. So I'd be like, oh, she knows that I need to take this to be like everybody else. And I just remember feeling like just this pit, this deep, deep, you don't get me. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you taking me away from me feeling? And, you know, I didn't realize till after we talked the other day, I was looking at other people who had gone through it. Cause I never looked at it. I just denied this forever. I just denied that it was really that bad, but actually it's why I do what I do today. It's the reason I was born, I believe is to change this, but I felt so definitely misunderstood, but I felt so like I didn't measure up that there was something in society that I couldn't be. So for me, my coping mechanism was to then be perfect. So that if anyone rejected me, it wasn't because of me, it's because I wasn't that, you know, it's just, there's all these coping mechanisms kids like me come up with that don't even realize this is why and living up to this thing. And for me, breaking out of the societal ideal and really aligning with the universal law was the game changer because society is the one that says there's something wrong with you, take a drug, not God, not the universe. We have to go higher to understand it. But when you're a kid, you're, you're stuck in this prison of, I'm just misunderstood. No one understands anything. I'm screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to just jump back even further. Mm -hmm. um, what was going on in your family household um at the time because i was just listening to uh, uh something teal swan said about adhd and she called it a regulation of anxiety and so yes. talk to me yes. about that so interesting enough the research i've been doing lately on self and clients i really feel like adhd is a trauma response in my opinion uh because as a child, you'll look at every single one of my report cards. I found them a few years ago at a storage unit. Oh, wow. Every, every single report card since kindergarten said extreme anxiety at the top. Yeah, I've chills just saying it. Cause I remember thinking, what? My mom would always say, you're the most anxious little child. I'm like, yeah, because at home, since the time I was in the womb, 
my parents did not get along and um, they ended up divorcing when I was 11, but there was no cohesive harmony. It was always like separation, fighting. They were not in love ever. And, and then there was my sister and we were not close. And I think that there's just so much separation in the household. And as a highly sensitive kid, you feel that and you don't know what to hold on to for safety and security. So you're just constantly like, I remember not being able to focus in school because I'm thinking about home. I'm thinking about, oh my God, do I have to go back there? Oh my God, what's going to happen when I get there? at seven years old. So I really hate that people diagnose without knowing what's really going on to create those things that are being diagnosed. It's not fair. You can have ADD and have a great household and not really have these crazy symptoms, right? So there's all these different aspects of it. But in my opinion, for me, because as soon as I left, I left home in high school, I went to Tokyo, Japan on this modeling contract. And then I went right to college. I got straight A's and my mom was like, you don't have any of those symptoms anymore. I'm like, and I don't live at home. Mm. I don't live at home. I live in a dorm and it's all fine. And, and I'm in another country and I'm successful. And it was just, I'm not in that environment. Well, wow. So many things to unpack, but no need. Cause I get it. Um, I just want to write on a couple of words. Um, one is environment, obviously. Uh, it's a very important um, topic because one of our guests, Bruce Lipton, said that, you know, ADHD is not a hardware issue. It's a programming issue. That's how we're being programmed, right, from the environment. And what is the environment? So t- walk me through somebody who doesn't know, a parent who's listening. What what all in your environment do you feel contributed to that anxiety, that feeling unsafe, and ultimately what I call Right. You said coping mechanism is just to be distracted, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, and when you look at trauma healing, what are we doing? We're constantly distracting from the pain. We don't want to. So we're drinking or we're dating or we're doing all these things to not go there. And when I did go there is when I healed. But this is what I was doing as a kid. I was distracting from this environment that, number one, was not emotionally validating at all. There was no emotional mirror. It's not there was no consistent emotional connection. Who knows if mom and dad are fighting? I'm not going to get what I need. There's no needs met. I'm not going to get my needs met. How do I cater to them to get my needs met? Codependency, right? All these things. So for me, it was no consistent emotional connection or um, mirroring or validation. And then as far as physical care, where's dad? Why isn't dad paying attention to me? Why, you know, so there's no, there's a lack of attention, attention deficit. I had a major lack of attention in my childhood from everyone, from everyone in my family, because the whole, I call it the tribal wound of my family was like codependency narcissism, which is so much in so many of us, right? But there was so much of this emotional immaturity going on that people wouldn't talk about what's going on. And here I am, this truth teller. I'm like, grandma looked at me wrong. Then, you know, I would say whatever. And people like, no, that didn't happen. Gaslighting. That's all in your head. I'm like, it's not in my head. I'm feeling it. And then we can't trust our feelings. So there was not this emotional validation. When you don't have emotional validation or mirroring, you don't trust yourself. Mm. You start looking externally for identity. You start looking externally for why am I not being loved the way? There's something wrong with me for sure. Every rejection that would happen was because of my ADD. There must be something wrong with me. That's why mommy and daddy aren't home, aren't loving me, aren't whatever. It must be because of me, because I'm the one with the problem. I was the diagnosed patient in my family. And yeah, yeah. and so- 
any issue that went on wasn't because it was an issue. It's because I'm perceiving it wrong or it's your ADD. Yeah. Yeah. It's a scapegoat, <laughs> it's a scapegoat right? For, yes, for not, not doing the emotional trauma healing or the, you know, yeah. um, no, talk to us about perfection. So you're a teenager now, right? And you're a uh, stunningly beautiful woman, you know, so I, I would imagine at that age, you got a lot of compliments, right? Like, hey, you're pretty, you're cute, you know, you should model. How did you get into that? It's so interesting because not till so many years later did I understand what really happened. But I remember at, it was my 16th birthday and I was... Um, I've told this story before, but <laughs> I was at this youth group camp and it was such an amazing experience for me. I finally had that experience where I felt like people were seeing me for me, not for the shame, not for the ADD label that I couldn't shed until I was a teenager. Finally, people were like, oh, you're pretty. Oh, you're fun. I had all these friends. And I remember thinking, you know what? I think I deserve to have my dreams. I want to be a model. I was like, I just wanted to do that. I always wanted to because I don't think I was ever felt seen as a child. And I thought if I could be seen, then I'm okay. Then it's right. It makes so much sense. So I remember I was in Chicago one day. I was driving in the car with my best friend and we hear this commercial on the radio for this modeling convention thing. And it happened to be to the left in five minutes at this hotel. And we're like, this is weird synchronicity. And so we went in. And they picked me and then I went to New York to do the bigger competition. And then I got an agent in New York and it just, it was like that. So I go back to school one day and here's the problem. I understood now that I didn't, shouldn't own the shame that I grew up with, but I wasn't sure because the emotional imprint and the trauma work hadn't been done. It was like this mental understanding, but this inner child didn't get it yet. And this is what so many clients come to me. Candace, why am I not healing? I understand everything. I said, cause you've got to do the inner child work. The mind doesn't matter, right? Your adult self can know, but your inner self needs to be the one that really understands. And so we have to integrate. I didn't do that. I'm 17. I don't know anything at this point. So, <laughs> so I go back to school and like star quarterback asked me to homecoming. And all of a sudden, one day, all my friends are sitting at a different lunch table. And I'm like, what's going on? That rejection wound came in. Like, this is a joke. There must really be something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not all these great things because I'm used to thinking I'm terrible, right? So I have this huge rejection wound of like, no one likes me. Well, what I didn't realize is they're jealous because one of those girls really liked that guy. But when you grow up thinking you're flawed and there's something wrong with you, you think it's just because of me. There's just something wrong with me. So I had no confidence, zero confidence. Took myself out of gymnastics, soccer, violin, piano, all the things I was doing because I wanted to hide because of the shame. Mm -hmm. Something in me said, you're still going to go to Tokyo and you're still going to go model. Something in me was like, no, just do it. And so my perfectionism kicked in and I'm like, I don't want to be rejected and I don't want to mess up my purpose. So I'm going to make sure I'm perfect, not authentic, but perfect. So before I had like a month before I was supposed to leave on my contract, I was like, let me eat everything perfect. Like a model would not Candace, like a model would so that I, so they don't reject me. So I ended up losing so much weight in that month because I was such a skinny kid already. I get to Tokyo. They take away the contract because I look freaking anorexic, totally. Wow. And they said, we love you so much. It was the biggest contract you could have gotten there. This lingerie company it was crazy. They said, we love you so much that if you go back to how you naturally are, we'll take you back. Hmm. 
my lesson at 17 was you're perfect as you naturally are. You don't need to change. Wow. But my message from society is you're not okay as you are, which was totally different. My modeling agents, like you're too thin. Who says that? So the next year, you know what I did? That eating disorder that wasn't even really an eating disorder went away overnight. So I was like, oh, I don't want to mess myself up. I just, you know, took a while to heal it mentally, but it was, it worked. And the next year I went back and I got it. And then I went back the next year, I went five times. And it was like, I'm not letting my perfectionism mess with my authentic self and my dreams. Mm. And so that's kind of what happened. Now, did the perfectionism follow me in other ways? Oh, yeah. And as I chipped away in my spiritual journey, I realized that the opposite of authentic is perfection. The opposite of perfectionism is authenticity. So what do I want? Do I want to be my real self or do I want to be the societal based standard of what's acceptable because I never thought that I was? Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that about, you know, perfection essentially is an addiction, mm -hmm. right? That, that need to absolutely have to be perfect and you got to go out only if you wear makeup and you got to be seen this way and you got to be skinny and you got to be, and I know it's a, there's more pressure on women for sure on this, you know, visual, aesthetic, attractive kind of, you know, world, but it's, wow. I mean, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I see that just following you, you know, it's intense, but you, you turn this all around, you turn this around. And so now I want to ask you about when did you first, uh, come in contact with the terms, you know, indigo or light, light worker, sensitive, you know, highly sensitive person yeah. and, and, and tell me more about it. How, how you feel about it now? I feel it's so funny when I look back at my life, I really do see that everything is perfection in the process. I really have this deep trust and surrenders to our life path because um, I feel lucky. My dad, my parents got divorced. I was 11. My dad started dating this healer. And um, when I would go to see her, they would flush my Ritalin down the toilet. They're like, you don't need that. And I would be so relaxed and I would have so much fun. And I'd come home. My mom's like, why are you so relaxed? I'm like, cause I'm being me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> she would take me to like healing um, conventions and stuff. And I found myself there. And she said, honey, there's nothing wrong with you. You have a gift. And I don't really like that word gift either because it makes you seem special, but it's not. It's just, there's something about you that's a little bit different in some way and it's not a bad thing. And I connected with these people and we just did such cool things. And she gave me this book called Hands of Light by um, Brienne, no, 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 Brene, something Brennan, Barbara Brennan, Barbara, mm -hmm. Barbara Brennan. And I read it and I was a teenager and I remember thinking, this is me, I'm a healer. I knew it, like it was just, it clicked. I'm like, this is me, I, I could read auras. I could do all the things. And I thought that's not wrong or bad, that's just different, but that's gonna help me. I knew it. And so she was kind of my light of like, there's, there's something good going on. It's not bad, they just don't understand you. Don't worry, I understand you. Now, it killed me when they broke up and I never heard from her again, but it did, you know, planted that seed and then I just kept reading the books. I kept reading about spiritual law. I kept reading just everything I could get my hands on. I was probably 12 or 13 years old and I was just obsessed. I'm like, this is me. And Ayurveda and just everything. So hmm. then I found Indigo Children when I was probably like 20. I read this book from um, Doreen Virtue about the care and feeding of Indigo Children. And the first thing I noticed was a lot of kids with ADHD are indigo children and I was like what because I always had that spiritual component reading the auras kind of being psychic I would 
you know, put my hands on people and they feel better. I was like, something's going on. And it talks all about that, the high sensitivity, needing a special diet, which I did as a kid. I couldn't wear the color red. It hurt my skin. Like all these interesting things were in there. And I was like, that's the answer. Now, getting everyone else to understand it was a whole other, they're like, whatever, kid, it's a spiritual mumbo job. I'm like, I don't care. This is my truth. This is how I'm living. There's nothing wrong with me. But I got to tell you, it took most of my life to get that phrase out of my body. There's nothing wrong with wow. me. It's interesting that you say that because I just recently, a couple of days ago, I talked to a dear friend of mine and he says to me, he says, I'm just going to channel what I'm getting for you. And he said, whatever you're going through right now is tough. He said, but the toughest or the biggest challenge for you will be to, to be able to stand in your truth. And I was like, what? I am standing in my truth. He's like, yeah, but when shit comes your way and people are going to judge you and you're going to doubt yourself and all that stuff, right? Yeah. If you can keep standing there, that's yeah. power. Well, it's unconditional self-love. Mm. You know, a lot of my students and clients say to me, how the hell do you do all these videos? All you, you talk about the truth all the time. How do you not care about what people think about you? I go, because it is the truth for me. I don't talk about anything that I haven't experienced. So I have a lot of confidence about what I'm saying because it worked for me and it's accurate for me. And now a lot of other people are like, holy shit, you're the only person that says it the way that I experience it. And I'm like, because I'm speaking a truth, mm -hmm. right? So when you can stand in your truth and everybody else is saying they're against you, <clears throat> which my whole family was for a while until now they're like, oh my God, we really understand. But everyone was against me when I started speaking out about my experiences. And I said, I don't care because they are the truth of my reality. So mm -hmm. if someone has an opinion of it, why would that sway my truth? You have to be yeah. so strong in it. And what really makes you strong in it is, is the wisdom of experience. Just go out there and do it. And you're like, oh yeah, that is the truth for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, mm -hmm. there's no doubt. Yeah. It's like, I always say like, you know, um, impulsivity is the way we calibrate our intuition, right? You get an impulse, you do it. You either succeed or fail. I mean, those are limiting terms, but I'm just going to use them, right? You either something's right for you or something was not right. You learn, you calibrate, you move forward. There's no other way to calibrate our intuition. Yeah, but a lot of people like who grew up with me have a major issue with making mistakes. They don't want to make mistakes. Yeah. I learned this a lot of years ago where I didn't, you don't know how to make a decision because you don't want to make the wrong decision, right? A lot of highly yeah. sensitive people are like, I don't want to make a decision. Because you don't want it to be wrong because then that means there's something wrong with you. We have to unravel all this. And so what I started learning is if I do something wrong, I still love myself. So fuck it. Let me just do wrong things. And so I would just do things and I would be like, oh, mistake. I can pivot instead of, oh, mistake. I'm going to be punished, ignored, all the things that happened in childhood, right? If we reparent ourselves and we love ourselves anyway, it's not scary to make a mistake. It's actually yeah. wise. Yeah. And I think that's, that's wonderful what you just said. If we look at ADHD and say uh, medication, right, or the school system really is a, a box, right, that we're trying to fit the kids in. Yeah. And this is not like some kind of, you know, conspiracy theory. Oh, you know, no, it's it's a box. Let's look at it that way. Right. We're training these little beings to become what we think they should be to make to keep society from working. Right. To continue that kind of like hamster wheel of yes. capitalism, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so what happens is and from you know, just going off of what you just said, like by medicating our children, again, we're not an anti-medication kind of movement. It's, mm -hmm. it's you, you do what's right for you. You have to feel into your own intuition as a parent 
to know if that's the right thing for now, right? But what happens is exactly that perfection thing is back because now we're adhering to the teacher who says this is not perfect, meaning this is not good or, you know. Authority figures. Exactly. And so we look up to the external source and go, tell me how to be perfect. And what we mean is tell me how to be accepted. And so I feel like I fit in and I'm loved and I matter, right? Childhood trauma. This is very, very big. Can I speak on this really quick? Go for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is so big, parents. So here's the thing. I was writing down notes when you were talking because this is so in the book that we're going to talk about. So a lot of my clients are HSPs, empaths, highly sensitive. Some ADD, some think they had ADD. It doesn't really matter ADD or not. They felt different. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the main thing, the main pain is someone's going to take me away from me if I'm being me. That's what I see the school system doing for children like me who are born to be an entrepreneur. I'm not born to fit into it. I'm not going to nine to five, never have, never will. That's not in me. What's in me is I'm guided to do these things outside of the box. And what I think parents are trying to do right is they're trying to make you feel fit in. They think that their job, maybe I'm wrong, but this is what I think my parents wanted to do. They wanted me to fit in as much as possible because their pain was not fitting in. So the tribal wound. So fit in. What I'd like to share is it's not about fitting in. It's about realizing that what you are is already fitting the universe. It's already fitting. You don't have to fit this little box. You are going to fit something because you're born. You're going to have a purpose. And we need to cater to these different types of learning. There's like, what, nine different types at this point. There's different types of learning. There's different ways of being. And what we have to do is stop pulling away the inner guidance of the child, but say, let me nourish your inner guidance. What are you directed to do? Oh, you're directed to be a billionaire in some way to create some different, you know, your Einstein, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But what we're taught is to pray to these false idols, these authority figures that aren't God. But we start thinking that. So we we abandon and reject our inner guidance to cater to this external thing that's not matched up for us. Yeah. It's almost like we're always like unfulfilled searching because you're not aligned to you. Yeah. It's almost like the, the Ivy league degree, the promise of an Ivy league college degree becomes God because it then becomes the thing. If, if my child achieves that, at least they're taken care of financially. They have a a position. They're going to be happy and I can die stop worrying. I understand if, that. Right. We get but it. But I don't agree with it, but I totally understand that and, way of thinking. <laughs> yeah. And how many, how many Ivy league college graduates, CEOs, uh, can't keep their marriage together, are miserable, uh, depressed on medication, suicide, you know, how many, I don't know. High number. I would be I my guess. Tell you, being a coach for the last 10 years has been so incredible because what I got to learn, like the first five years of my career is that I was getting celebrities, Ivy League people, extremely successful people are coming to me and they're fucking miserable or there's this thing they can't figure out or the emotional intelligence is gone or there's like this huge wound of, Mm. I did this path for my parents, but I'm not happy. So many doctors that I talk to feel that way, which I think is interesting because to be a doctor, I've made it. My parents are happy. You know, a lot of people want to be that, but if they don't want to be that and they're coming to me, there's something missing. They don't know because I've done all this stuff, Candace. I'm so successful. I've done everything society told me to do. What's wrong with me? And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. It's time to get to really know you though. 
Love it. Love it. Love it. Mm -hmm. Now, you've sort of touched upon this a little bit earlier. What would you recommend to parents today? You know, not every parent, I, I should say it this way, lots of parents that find us, come to us, they're sort of just, I hate to say woken up, but they just sort of realize, you know, the mainstream narrative, something feels off, right? And so now they want to know, what can I do for my child, right? with what's called so-called disorder, ADHD, if, they if they've had a diagnosis, what can I tangibly action steps, what can I do starting now that I've sort of realized this? What would you recommend to parents from your experience? The number one thing, there is nothing wrong with you. Say it a thousand times a day. There is nothing wrong with you. With the child, there right? Yes, yeah. there's nothing wrong with the child. When This is what I tell the majority of my clients. The thing that's wrong with you is that you think there's something wrong with you. That's the only problem. <laughs> Say it again, Candice. Say it again. <laughs> the only thing wrong with you is that you believe there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And I'm not going to make this light because the minute I remember the day I'm sitting in the psychiatrist's office and they're like, I was like, she's going to understand me. She's going to explain to them. I leave with this pit in my stomach. Like the, the life came out of me when they said, you got a problem. It's called attention deficit disorder. I'm like, so there's something wrong. Oh my God. She doesn't get me either. No one gets you. So the parents need to understand there's in my opinion, now you don't have to agree with me, but in my opinion, from my experience, there is nothing wrong. It just needs to be taught differently. What ADHD kids really, really benefit from is emotional connection. If you sit with your kid and you're like, I understand there's something going on. This is why you cannot focus. Just hug. My mom used to do this. One thing she did that was really, really helpful to me is I would be all out of sorts because I didn't know how to put words to my emotions. A lot of these kids have emotional regulation issues because there's so much they're feeling all at once. They don't know what the hell to do with it. It's so overwhelming. It's like temper tantrums. I used to do that. It's acting out. You don't know what's going on, but something feels off. Grab the kid, hold the kid, just love the kid. Just squeeze them squeeze them. I love you no matter what. This isn't you. This is just how you're expressing. You don't know what to say. It's okay. We're going to figure it out. One of the things my mom also says to me nowadays, she's like, Candace, you're more emotionally intelligent than your teachers and your parents. She goes, so because we didn't know how to express what you were saying, you had to grow up and teach us. And that's what's happening with these kids is they feel so misunderstood because they know something you don't know. And that's scary. Mm. but also they don't know how to articulate what they feel. And it's freaky. It's like, how do I get my need met? It's like this, it's like this, this survival need. If I won't get my need met, cause I can't explain it to you. Think about that for a minute. Yeah. I know what I need, but I don't know how to explain it. And you're not giving it to me. I feel terror. Yeah. I'm in this classroom and I'm bored as hell because I'm already 10 steps above and they're telling me that I'm below because they don't really get how fast I think. I used to do long division problems and get all the answers correct, but all the work was different because I wasn't listening. I was just figuring out myself because I was bored. I was like, I'm already there. And I get all the answers right, but all the work was wrong and they would mark it wrong. And my mom would come in and be like, what are you talking about? All of her answers are right. They're like, well, she must have copied it from someone or cheated. Because the way she did it is not the way that we taught. My mom's yeah. like, she's processing it her own way. That's kind of genius. They're like, no, that means she has a processing problem. Yeah, a disorder. I don't think that's a problem. I think that's a difference. So my point is, mm -hmm. if your kids do things different, don't make them wrong. 
don't make them feel like there's anything wrong with them because then they start rejecting themselves and that inner critic gets developed and then that codependency starts and self-harm and all these things because of yeah. shame. What's yeah. shame say? There's something wrong with me. Shame. Why do you think that experts and parents alike often feel this strange need to keep the label or the disorder in existence? What, what, what's the payoff? What are they getting? Not financial. There's some of that for some experts, right? But what do you think is their payoff by keeping it in existence? I have two different ideas. Number one, a lot of people like the label because they say, oh, now I understand what's wrong. So that's fine. I understand that, but that's because you didn't grow up being shamed about it. <laughs> so if I were thinking differently and then someone's like, here, ADD, all these things, I'm like, oh my God, that is me. If I didn't have shame attached to it. That's why I like to change the definition. Hmm. So I think people like it because they're like, oh, now I understand myself. Some people feel like that. I never felt like that. I just felt like that's now confirming that I'm something wrong with me. <laughs> but then there's the other thing I believe, in my opinion, that this sounds harsh, but I'm just going to say it. I think that at large, we're kind of controlled. And I think that if people were to say, I believe in myself, I love myself, this is what I'm doing, we're capable of a lot more, but then we're not easy to control because different ways would be different things. I think in society, we try to compartmentalize stuff so that we have control over things and we can define things. And I think the new era is there is no definition. We're just souls having a human experience. Why do we all have to fit this one? Think about it. Why do we all have to like the color green? Why? Because if you do, then you're going to fit all these things and you're safe and you fit in. It's, it's that pull, right? But if you're different, you don't fit in. That's scary because we don't know what you're going to do. Yeah. It's that like need for predictability. Certainty. And, I, and I'm going to jump ahead here and see what you think, because I, I've been thinking about this for years now. It's like the only, or I should say the first people that artificial intelligence is going to replace are the predictable ones. Mm -hmm. We're not, you and I are light workers and indigos and ADHD children are not predictable. Mm -hmm. You know, I That's think there's a reason people. for that. Huh? That's what scares people. What is she going to say? What is she going to do? It's like, whatever comes. She's going to be herself. How is that? Mm -hmm. I love something you said. This is great. You said that when people like the label or, you know, label themselves as ADHD, they go, oh, now I know what's wrong with me. Well, you know, it's kind of like saying, oh, I or it's almost like they're telegraphing. They're already thinking something's wrong with them, but now it's justified. Well, it's cemented, you, right? There's this girl that I used to coach a long time ago. She loved the label because people hate uncertainty, right? They hate uncertain identity. She's like, okay, there's me. That's where I fit. We've been taught that it's safe to know where you fit because then you know how to cater to fitting in, right? So she loved knowing where she fit, but she also loved, this was so interesting. She loved saying, oh, see, it's not me. It's my ADD. But for me growing up, my ADD was me, mm. right? You are your ADD. You are ADD. I didn't find, I didn't feel I had an identity outside of this shit. So I was like, my identity is I'm flawed. 
And I knew it was wrong. So I was really good at all these things. I'm like, how can these people say, I don't know, whatever. So for her, it, she had a sense. So it depends on how you're raised. She had a sense of self and she's like, what's wrong with this thing in me? Oh, it's not me. It's just the symptom. It's the ADD. Yeah. But what I think is that's kind of selling yourself short. Cause for me, if you want to say I have ADD, it's my best thing. It helps me see beyond the veil. It helps me be a creator and a business owner. And, you know, this is just how I think outside the box. And people come to me they're like, how the hell do you see that? I'm like, I see the holistic picture. Mm -hmm. I see this whole big thing. And that's hard for young kids with ADD, if you want to call it that, because they are holistic thinkers. But our, our, our school system is not a holistic thought at all. So their thoughts are not validated. And then you don't get confidence in it. And then you don't develop it. So you almost feel incubated a little bit because you're like, why is nobody letting me expand in this way? I love it. Amazing insights. And I know you've written a book on ADHD. Yes. You started this years ago because obviously you've felt something for, you know, all your life. Yeah. Um, and so tell us a little bit more about that and, and what the plan is with the book. Oh, gosh. So I wrote this book in 2012. It was my second year at University of Santa Monica. It was my class project. And um, it was basically on indigo children, but also ADHD and just a spiritual perspective on these kids. And I held on to it. I, I published some of it in the Huffington, Huffington Post years and years and years ago. And I've shared some with my clients, but I held on to it because it's all about the paradigm shift. And I didn't think the world was ready. And I was still nervous that I'd get a lot of negative backlash. And as I've shared it with more and more people, they're like, please put it out there. That's my story. That's my story. So I promised my tribe that I work with that I will self-publish it this year because it is everything we're talking about and then some, and it is about um, the unhealed empath, really. The children that are misunderstood and don't get to really feel like they reach their potential because they're not nurtured and nourished in the way that they truly need. And it's no one's fault. It's just an emotional dark age that we were born into. But now there's some insights of how to do that and how to own your truth and live your truth and be your truth. And I feel in that, that is, in my opinion, owning your truth is coming back to your authentic self that was stripped from you so many years ago. And so hopefully when people read the book, they're like so validated that they can just go off and say, you know, I choose me. We all know who we are. Mm -hmm. We're just afraid it's not enough. We're just afraid it's bad. We're afraid they were right about us and it's bullshit. Right. No, that's... <laughs> That's great. And obviously we'll do a follow-up episode when the book comes out, because then we can really uh, present it to parents, right? It's available. And I think this was a really great conversation to tease that because you have so much wisdom around that. You've lived it, you've been there, you've studied it, you've seen it, you know, it's just, it's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. So um, anything else you'd like to leave us with? Uh, around ADHD, around parenting, around light workers, uh, any last Candace statements? I love them. I, yeah, thank you. I, I just want to say, I think that, like I said, I hate saying special, like gifted. That's kind of whatever. No one wants to feel like they're different in any way, good or bad. But what I'll say is there, these kids are here to usher in a new reality, to break down the current system and expand it I was one of them, the front runner of change where you're like, nobody gets it. And it's really about empowering this inner pull, this inner drive so that these kids know they're here to do something unique. They don't have to follow the flow. That's where they're going to not be happy. 
and then they're going to start doing things to act out. It's just about following your wise guide inside. I call it your inner guidance, really honing in on what you feel, honing in on why you're being driven towards certain things and making it right, not wrong. The word wrong is so big in this community that it just needs to be scrapped. We need to shift it. Instead of wrong, say positively different. I love that. And, you know, to the parents listening, just remember you're the guardian, right? You're the adult. And if we can encourage our children as much as possible to not think of them as broken or something's wrong with them, um, I think we're going to see a different world quickly, you know? So Candace, what a great conversation. I, I thank you for your time. Uh, I'm excited for this conversation to reach the world out there. So uh, let's do a part two soon. I love it. I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. <laughs>